Hey Siri, remind me to pick up mom's present tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me about family game night on Friday afternoon. Hey Siri, remind me about the parent-teacher conference tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me to call grandma today. Hey Siri, remind me to schedule the kids' dentist appointments. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Some people want to leave the gospel at the doorstep whenever they start dealing with their marriages or their kids, and you can't. The gospel literally infiltrates every part of the believer's mindset, perspective, and life, and how you approach your marriage completely changes. Maybe some of you, before you got saved, you were married, and you lived life a certain way, and then whenever you received Jesus and your mindset shifted, all of a sudden you saw your spouse through a different lens. And that's exactly how it's supposed to happen. So we're going we're gonna to delve into that today. We're going to be talking about the family. And so I thought I'd start off today by, by showing you my family, all right? So go ahead and put that picture up. This is my family. Oh, come on. Yes. Man. And believe it or not, every day that we wake up, that's what you see. My beautiful wife, her hair is like perfectly curled, just like, I mean... You know, the kids are smiling every day. Like, that's just a, that's just a regular day in the Dakota house. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe on Facebook, that's my highlight right there, right? No, we are a normal family like everybody else. Actually, so we're actually on our bed right there taking that photo. And our, our, our mattress or our, um, our comforter is like pillow, you know, soft white, like, just pure white, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. We actually got it clean, not maybe like what four months ago, something like that. And it's beautiful. And yesterday morning, we were just chilling out on the bed, and the kids are in there. It's one of those awesome Saturday mornings, you know. Don't have any plans, nothing to do. And uh, so the kids are in the bed, bed and, and uh, our little girl right there, her name is Elin. Uh, Ariana's a seven-year-old on the left with her mouth wide open, ha, <laughs> you know. Um, but Elin, you know, she's just just awesome kid, just wonderful kid. She's there. Wonderful white comforter. We're laughing, watching cartoons. It's like just awesome. And, <laughs> and then Elin just goes, and she sneezes Fruit Loops all over the bed. <laughs> like I'm talking, it's like we have a multicolored, you know, comforter now, like in this one spot. And so I get a napkin. I'm like, I'm just trying to scoop it and get it. And it just smeared. It's just a wonderful Saturday. That's, that's, that's family. You know what I'm talking about? So, like, that's beautiful. Everybody liked it. I got a lot of likes on Facebook for that. Like, awesome. But reality is, is that's a highlight, and that's not, that's not real family. That's not, every, that's not what it looks like, although it's a beautiful picture, and uh, I look at it quite often. Love my family. But, but real family sometimes is dirty. It's, it sneezes Fruit Loops on the bed. You know what I'm talking about? There, there's uh, very intense conversations that take place, and that's just a reality. It's the, the life that we're going to live. And so, the thing about family, though, is I really believe that family is built on a strong marriage. It's built on a strong marriage, all right? Yes, if you have children, you have to raise kids, and that's a big por- portion of the, the, the effort that goes into your, uh, your family is raising kids. But before you deal with the kids and before you are, are a team trying to raise kids, you as spouses, like, that marriage, that is the core of that family. If that marriage falls apart, everything else falls apart. And, and too many times nowadays, kids become the idol in the marriage, okay? Kids become the main point of the family. 
And, and then the, the mom and dad, they lose sight of each other. You know, divorce rates are highest like over 25 years now. Like, because here's the deal. When those kids leave the house, guess who's still there? Your spouse. They're still there. They didn't leave with the kids. You know, like, <laughs> here you are. And, and, and what happens is they haven't maintained that relationship. They've lost connection. Now the kids are gone. That was the whole point of the, of the family. The kids are gone. They're in college or moving on with life. And now guess what? You're staring at a stranger. You don't know them. They don't know you, your roommates. And now you kind of lost the it. You lost the it factor. Family is built on marriage. It starts with it. Now, here's the deal. I know that more than half of you in this room right now have been affected by either divorce or you're in a family right now that's, that feels broken and dysfunctional. And some of the things that I might say today, you might be like, well, that's, it's easy for you to say. I just saw your picture. That's awesome. You know, just wait. <laughs> Some of you are doing that, right? Just wait till they turn 12, you know? I know, I know. But I'm going to talk about what the biblical pattern for marriage is. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about marriage. I'm going to talk about how it should be. And I think we should learn and grow in how it should be because too often we make excuses or we justify where we're at Instead of saying, you know, this is where I'm at, but I want to get there, all right? And even in our culture, a lot of you young people, some of the things I'm going to say today are completely foreign to the things that you're being uh, taught by your friends, by, I mean, come on, all of us have an idea of what marriage is, and most of it's shaped by our experiences, it's shaped by our culture, it's shaped by movies, whatever it is, it's shaped by those things, and then we can't help but just apply it to our life but today, we're going to be combated with what the Bible says. And so whenever you think about, about marriage, what do you think about? What do you think about? What's the, what's the go-to thought process? Maybe what's the pattern that you see? Well, I want to redefine marriage for some of you, and I want to bring some focus to what biblical marriage is. And it's actually a quote from John Stott. If you, go ahead and put that up there. He says, uh, marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issue, issuing in a permanent, mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children. What a very good, direct, clearly defined definition of what biblical marriage looks like. This thought process, this is how we're approaching what a good marriage is and what it looks like. Now, for some of you, this order that we're going to speak of, this pattern, it might not be your story. It's okay, all right? The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he restores everything, right? Everything. So, so if this isn't your story, no shame today. No, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. We're not doing all that, but we are going to lift our eyes up to what the proper pattern is and, 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 and go from there, okay? So, so nowadays... When it comes to how you get married, the pattern in which you approach how to get married, our culture has defined that and really taken all of the structure out of it as, as opposed to what the Bible says. And so we have this tension between uh, a, a, a biblical pattern for marriage and a, uh, a culturally biblical pattern for marriage versus just culture and what they say. And so I want to bring some clarity to what we believe a biblical culture or a culturally biblical pattern for marriage is. And it starts with two people who are in a, a dating or a courting relationship. 
That's the first step. Now, I want to bring some clarity to the difference between dating and courting. All right? Dating would be like, I'm just like playing the field, kind of seeing what's out there, okay? Courting would be, I am with this person right now to discover if this is the person that I am to go into covenant with for the rest of my life. Completely different motivations, completely, completely different thought processes, and, but this would be the first step, courting. And there's a lot of history and things that things were a lot different in, in biblical times when it comes to this phase. Some of it was very arranged. But for us, culturally speaking today, there is this phase where two people are discovering whether or not they are right for each other. Number two is then you enter into this covenant or this contractual type of uh, arena in your relationship, a commitment. And, and this right here uh, is really what I would talk about, or, or when I'm talking about this, I'd be referring to engagement, when you get engaged. Now, for me and Nadine, we dated um, from uh, the age of 14 till we were 21. So, like, I've never really had a, a serious other girlfriend, all right? Like, that's it, which I love. And uh, I kissed one girl my whole life. I think it's awesome. Uh, so, so, you young people, you're like, I need to, like, go, I need to go, like, try some things. No, you don't. No, you don't. No. You get into this, this engagement process. Whenever we were 20, 21, I, I asked her to marry me. And I was completely shocked at how when I walked away from that moment, how we, were, we had entered into a different arena in our relationship. Whenever I put that ring on her finger, I felt like we were already in a, in a certain way married. Well, you know what it was? We, we might have not been legally married, but internally, we were in covenant together. I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she said, yes. That was a verbal agreement between two people who love each other. And in that moment, bam, something happened. So you're in this, this covenant. And the word contract is a little bit, you know, not very romantic, okay? But it is this mindset of I'm in covenant, I'm in contract with this person, and I'm committed to them. And then there's the ceremony, right? The celebration, the reception, thousands of dollars being spent on ceremonies and celebrations, all right? And there's this big to-do, and everybody's excited about it. And then you go into the fourth phase, which is consummation of that, that covenant. And the thing about these four steps is that in our culture, apart from a biblical mindset, we completely misunderstand the purpose of courting. We, we completely misunderstand it. We date you know, you, you get out there and spread your wings a little bit. That's the mindset. You know, go through a different relationships and just kind of get your feet wet, okay, and, and move through that. You, we, we misunderstand that. Let me tell you something. If you're with somebody or you're thinking about getting into a relationship with somebody and you know that they're not right for you, biblically speaking, you are wasting your time by entering into a relationship with them on any level, Romantically, like, you know, man, you know, we're talking about marriage, so you could be in a relationship with people, like be buddies with people. But I'm talking about in regards to, to how you approach dating someone or courting someone, if you immediately see that they are, they live a different life than you, they have a different belief system, it should just be cut off right then. This is what happens. People, they, they get into a relationship with somebody that's not right for them. And they begin to build on this and we'll get into the, the, the sexual side of this in a second, but, but they begin to build improperly upon this foundation, and then they have a soul tie. And now they're in love. But I love them. And now that soul tie is deep 
because they've been dating them, knowing that they're not right for them, and they continue to press in through that, and now they feel trapped and, and stuck by love. And then we as a culture, when it comes to courting, we misunderstand courting. And then when it goes into the whole contract or commitment arena, we run from commitment, don't we? Like nobody wants to sign contracts anymore. So we, we run from commitment in marriages, in our nation, we're, we're struggling with this committed mindset. So then you've got these people who misunderstand the whole purpose of dating and courting. And then they also don't have this culture of commitment involved. So there's no like contract covenant. We don't understand covenant. When you read the Bible, you've got to read it through the lens of covenant. It's so deep. But then they, 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 they skip over that and then they, they get into the celebration. People spend as much money as they possibly can. They max out credit cards to have giant weddings but they don't give any regard to what comes after the wedding. <laughs> so, you know, they have as much credit card debt as they spent on the wedding. You know, it's, it's just, it's a terrible way to start marriage. But that's how it is. We, we accentuate and we emphasize the celebration and the ceremony without the commitment attached to it. And when it comes to consummation, well, in this list, it's the last thing that you do. But in culture, it's the first thing that we do. So we start off, we put the cart before the horse. We start off on the wrong foot. So people have sex, and then they build on that. Do you know what happens whenever you have sex with somebody? Internally, in your mind, hormonally, you're, you're literally becoming one with them in your emotions. That's what a soul tie is, and it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's how God designed us. We're supposed to have that in the right pattern. And once we start with this person and I, we are on the same page. And then we're going to commit our lives to not, not all fogged up with, with you know, uh, emotions and, and physical things, but we love each other. We're going to commit our lives to one another. We're going to do it in a planned pattern, preparing for living life together. And then we're going to end that process uh, or really start the journey of marriage and consummation on the wedding night. It's a wonderful pattern that God laid out, and it works but culture flips the script and celebrates it doing completely the opposite. And even in this room, I know a lot of you are probably struggling with what I'm saying. Don't get guilty. You might be sitting there and this is your story. You, you did it the wrong way. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just, again, talking about the right pattern. We gotta talk about the right pattern. If we don't talk about it in the church, the kids, they have no idea, All right? Whatever they see on Instagram or whatever, it's just the, the norm. It's not the norm, it's not. There's a biblical pattern and it works well. Why? Because God knows us. He designed us to operate this way. And whenever we flip it all up, it messes it all up. And so, yeah, you can clap for that if you agree. So we want to we wanna define this properly. We want to go into this with the right mindset. And, uh, and, and I believe from this point, I know that a lot of you are struggling with that. But I want to I challenge you to, to kind of remain soft, remain open to what the Word of God wants to, to speak to you today. I'm only going to cover three verses of Scripture today. In chapter 5, verse 21, and then 32 and 33. So let's start with, with verse 21. Paul, again, has been speaking about the gospel. He starts talking about our conduct. And here he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's a period there, and it also delineates between 
uh, if, you, if you're reading in the Bible, you'll see it sort of like goes into a different conversation about family. But in the original uh, language, it was actually one run-on sentence. It was all connected. He equates people being submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ and, and leads into the conversation about marriage and family with this thought. And this is the context for all of the things that we're going to say over the next few weeks. This right here. Out of reverence, respect, and honor, and an understanding of what Jesus has done for us, we are going to then live our life with our, our, in our marriages and in our family from this perspective. It's not, de uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, uh, detached from this mindset. Out of reverence for Christ, this is what starts a marriage. Two people that are both submitted to Jesus, submitted to being more like him, and in that, in their marriage, being more like him. This is a biblical marriage. Verse 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, let me explain this for a second. First off, this is a quote from Genesis. This was God's design. Man didn't make this up along the way. Like from the beginning, God wanted a man and a woman to leave their mother and father and become one flesh, become one person, become, have one life together for the rest of their life. Now, I want to say a couple things. Whenever you leave your parents' house and you're married, you are a new creation. Like the man and the woman that, that get married, they are a new family, okay? They're not just the same family who then became kind of like morphed into another one. No, like you are two separate people who are coming together and you're forming something new. So parent-in-laws, parents-in-laws, however you say that properly. Like they're your children, but you gotta let them go, all right? Boundaries, all right? Where's all my young people at? Like nobody support me in that, like. <laughs> Maybe your in-laws are here with you. Awkward. You're like, preach that, right? This is difficult because whenever you've raised your kid, they're yours. You know them, and you want them to be successful and do right. Come on. You can tend to kind of start controlling them, <laughs> and you got to release them. You got to let them go. When it comes to how to raise their kids, it's their kids. It's not yours. And you got to give space, you know. But you did it perfect. I understand. You did it perfect. You know, and, and they don't. And you're probably accurate on many levels in that. But there's certain things that they got to figure out. And you've got to realize that they are two people who have left mom and dad, okay? Now, if they're smart and there's a good relationship, they'll still receive from mom and dad, as they should. But at the same time, you can't go live life for them, Right? And, and, and for the kids, like, you guys, you're leaving mom and dad, and you're becoming your own, your own family. And it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes sparks fly, okay? The two shall become one. That's not always, uh, you know, unicorns and rainbows. But it's, it's a reality. You're becoming one. And it takes time. Some people don't, they don't continue to allow the process to take place, and they never break through this barrier of being two separate people becoming one. And they never experience real marriage. And they say, it doesn't work, I'm out. It's like, do you never even experienced it in the first place? And a lot of times it's because it wasn't the proper pattern. So the two shall become one, a new and unique family. Verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. 
And I'm saying, this is Paul, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What? That's kind of a twist right there. Again, because we, we detach the gospel from our marriage a lot of times. We make it a separate conversation. Paul is actually using, and next week, by the way, we're going to cover these other scriptures that we, we kind of skipped for today. But he's just talked about a man and a woman and how they're supposed to interact. And he says all of this, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. If you look earlier in Ephesians, he refers to the gospel as a mystery. And now he's referring to marriage <laughs> as a mystery. And sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? I like, can't crack the code on this. And... Uh, Ah. But it's a mystery, but he's, he's, he's beginning to show how he looks at marriage as, uh, as a parallel to the gospel. And there's so many beautiful pictures about this, about how Jesus has loved us and, and, and you know, made a way for us and, and how that should operate in the family and in the home. And that's why if you're an individual who has a, a revelation of the gospel, it's so easy for you to, to apply it to your home. The problem is a lot of times you got people who they don't really care about the gospel side of what we're talking about when it comes to marriage, and they just want, like, the, the, give me 12 steps. Give me some things to say, you know, to fix it. And then, then a lot of people, what they do is they actually try to use vacations and entertainment and things to try to resurrect their relationship, and uh, it, it's never going to work. Some people, it's like, well, we, we didn't get off on the right foot. Like, we never went on our, our honeymoon. So, man, we just did a honeymoon does it make a good marriage, all right? It doesn't. There's, there's a lot of things that culture and a lot of people think make a good marriage, and it's not. Let me tell you what makes a good marriage. Two people who, out of reverence for Christ, approach their spouse in that same lane, in that same focus, with that same lens, the same glasses, right? That's what makes a good marriage. Now, some of people are like, hey, look, that's great, man. I know a lot of people who have good marriages, and they don't follow Jesus, like, they actually do really well. And, and, and that also is, it's just like when people say, I'm a good person, I just don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, you're a good person. Not righteously good, but you're good, like, generally moral-wise, okay? You, you make good decisions. You haven't murdered anyone yet. Like, you're good. It does not make you righteous in God's sight. And a lot of people is like, we got a good marriage, we got a good marriage, and it's like, yeah, but, but apart from Christ, you have a good marriage. You don't have a holy one. You don't have a righteous one. It's the same thing, and you've got, this is what Paul's doing. He, he's marrying this together. He's fusing these two thoughts together and saying, hey, it's not one or the other. It's all in. It's the same, and this is how we've got to approach marriage. So, so kind of moving forward here, what is the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? And I've got a few things I want to say, but one thing that we're really going to key in on, and number one is that through marriage, we are able to be fruitful and multiply. In the context of marriage, we have kids. Uh, and guys, look, there, nothing is ever going to um, uh, cancel out the need for a child to need mom and dad. The best way to raise kids is a mom and a dad united and caring for a child together as a team. It's the best way. Does it happen all the time? No, but it is the best way. Can a kid still be raised properly and good? Absolutely. Again, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but 
that is what we want, right? So to, to, to have kids, to be fruitful, to multiply, to raise them up, we'll be talking about how to you know, raise kids in a biblical way in a couple of weeks. Uh, number two is to enjoy relational intimacy, unlike any other relationship that you're in. A marriage that is, is operating properly, there is a level of intimacy, and I'm not just talking about sex, a level of intimacy between these two people that you can't achieve in any other relationship where this person accepts you for who you are, loves you in spite of everything, right? And you can, you can trust them. There's no judging. It's a wonderful relationship. So that's number two. Number three is this, is that the purpose of marriage is to glorify God. Everything that we do as believers is to glorify God. And I, I think that Mark Driscoll really put it the best. He says this, only when marriage and family exist for God's glory and not to serve as replacement idols are we able to truly love and be loved. I don't, let's read that again before we go to the next slide. Only when marriage and family exist for God's glory and not to serve as replacement idols are we able to truly love and be loved. Idolatry, putting anything before God. He goes on and he says, remember, neither your child nor your spouse should be who you worship but instead who you worship with. Who you worship with. Some of you, you feel like you're, you're taking off a set of glasses and putting on another one right now, right? I've never thought about it that way. Whenever we say idolatry, a lot of times, uh, we're thinking of golden calves in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Like people making images and, and bowing down before them. And... Uh, What's really strange, and it's hard to say because we're in a family series, but it's true, is that actually spouses and kids have become idols in a lot of people's homes. They place more worth, more value, more focus, more time and energy on those things, those relationships, rather than at least the, an equal amount of time with Jesus. And so their focus is like, hey, whenever I have more time, like I'll focus on that later, but for right now, man, we got a lot of stuff going on. And they're canceling out the third cord in the strand, right? That brings power and unity. And they actually lift up their family and it becomes an idol in their life. To glorify God in our family looks like not minimizing him, but actually lifting him up above our family. Our focus is on him. It doesn't mean that you neglect your family. Of course not. It'll actually create the opposite effect. You'll be more healthy You'll be more focused. You'll be more holy. You'll be a better uh, a dad, a, a better wife. You'll be a better all of these things because you're connected with your, your creator. That's why we, we, have to, we have to have this mindset. Your family glorifies God in the way that you operate as a family. So the primary thing that we want to spend the rest of the time that we have to get together today is on how marriage helps us understand and reflect the gospel. Marriage helps us understand and reflect the gospel. Now, a biblical marriage is built on Christ and sustained by Christ. Kind of let this, again, permeate your mind before we move on. A biblical marriage is built on Christ and sustained by Christ, just like your relationship with God is built on the power of the gospel and sustained by the power of the gospel. You never graduate past that. And in your relationship, it's the same way. But marriage is also a useful tool in sanctification, all right? 
And in case you don't know what that means, sanctification, again, is the part of our life that we live in becoming more like Christ. And in that, there's a whole lot of repentance, a whole lot of forgiveness, a whole lot of sparks flying, okay? And it's where we are being made into something different than who we are by ourselves, on our own, our own natural self. Marriage is a tool of sanctification in our life. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people reach a certain level of sanctification in their singleness, all right? And then they get married. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, they're on another journey of being made more like Jesus, okay? <laughs> I'm being sarcastic when I say this. Like, it exposes things in you that are not of God, <laughs> all right? And then right whenever those two people got it figured out, they're like, I got a great idea. <laughs> Let's have kids. It'll be great. It's a wonderful way to continue the process of sanctification. <laughs> because levels of selfishness are being exposed in you with every step on the journey. Your character is being exposed. You can hide it with a lot of people, but you can't hide it with your spouse and your kids. I love the way that Timothy Keller put it. He said, while your character flaws may have created mild problems for other people, <laughs> They will create major problems for your spouse and your marriage. A lot of people think that the person that they're falling in love with will continue to change from glory to glory, all right? <laughs> Being made more like Christ. And so they, they actually create this other person in their mind of who they think their spouse is going to be. And they marry that hopeful version. And whenever that person doesn't keep up with that hopeful version of who they will be, they're like, I don't know. I need to find somebody else. I've heard Christians Say, I need to find somebody who will seek the Lord as much as I want to seek the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> no, no, that's not how it works. That's, that's not how it works. It's also just called spiritual pride, by the way. All right, but that's not how it works. But when people fall in love with somebody, they fall in love with them. Have you ever had somebody that you loved and they fell in love with somebody and you're like, hey, man, don't know if that's really the right, I'm not really sure. They're like, oh, no, you don't understand. If you knew her. Man, I kind of I kind of been around her for a little bit, and she literally flipped the table at the uh, restaurant the other night. I think she might have an anger problem. No, nah, man, she's just passionate. <laughs> she's passionate. I'm calling the cops next time that she's passionate, because that was weird, right? <laughs> You got these character flaws. Look, whenever me and Nadine got married, we were 21. We were very, uh, very young, very immature. And our first year of marriage, was, it was bad. It was horrendous. And, um, you know, um, so bad that, like, one time I was on the phone with, um, he was my youth pastor, and he was more just a, a mentor in my life at the time. I called him, and I said, man, I don't want to go home. We're only eight months in. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'd rather go do anything else other than be in my home. That's how bad it is. And, uh, he said, I understand, but go home. Be a man. Go deal with the issues. Go love your wife. And my dad said that to me on multiple occasions as well, multiple occasions. But there was a moment that I had where I realized that I was creating somebody else other than my wife that I wanted her to be. And I had this moment where I said, you know what? I married a 21-year-old version of my wife, and whether she changes or not, I'm going to love her till we die. It's that moment that, that like, there is no, there's no way out. You know, the story of, uh, I can't remember the, the guy's name right now, but he led a, a, an army on to, um, to go take this ground, and they had boats that were attached to the land, 
And people started kind of wondering whether they were really going to go and try to take the land. And uh, he kind of made the decision for them. He burned the boats. He burned the boats. And it was whenever he burnt the boat, the boat that they were all in on that journey, and they went and they conquered the land. And I'm telling you, some marriages, there's a safety boat off to the side. There's like a, there's like a canoe hidden by palm leaves, you know, like over to the side, and nobody knows about it, but it's just in case it doesn't work out. You need to go dig them up. You need to go burn them. There's no way out, man. You're all in. But how does our marriage reflect the gospel? What does it look like? I got two points. Number one is this. Our marriage reflects the gospel by or how in the same way that Christ loved us, we love our spouse. In the same way. And we celebrate the love of Christ, don't we? We sing about it. We shout about it. So it's awesome. But when it comes to taking that love and applying it to the person that's closest to us, a lot of times we hesitate. We hesitate. Why? Because we have a conditional type of love. We have this internal little conditional, like we just reserve, maybe it's for protection for yourself, to protect yourself. You've been hurt before. And so there's this like, well, as long as they do these things, I'll I'll treat them right. I'll I'll love them. But the the thing is, is that's not what Jesus did for us. He knew us completely. And he loved us in spite of it. So we love unconditionally. No prenup, right? <laughs> if you got a prenup, <clears throat> go burn that thing. Go burn it. That's your boat. When me and Aideen got married, uh, we got a house and we had no credit. I mean, we're 21. Things were, we were young. And uh, I co-signed with my dad on the house. And, and whenever her coworkers found out that she wasn't on the house, like, you know, part of it uh, as far as legally, they freaked out. They were like, girl, man, he's going to. He's going to, I tell you, listen what happened to me, right? And like, all this stuff happened, and, and she came home like, should I be on that? I'm like, well, I mean, it's a good thing. We just can't right now. I said, we will one day. I said, but they're talking about, they're talking out of pain. They're talking out of divorce. They're talking out of, you know, getting cheated on and lied to and all that kind of stuff. I was like, we don't live that life. That's not, that's not our home. <laughs> We're all in. Full commitment. We love unconditionally. Also, we extend grace. Let me tell you something, guys. We, as people, must extend grace to our spouses as much as we extend grace to people we don't know. I know people that, that, that for all of us, we tend to be the harshest people with those that are closest to us. What is that, man? It's insane. Why, why, do we, why do we speak to our spouses in demeaning ways that if we talk to our friends in that way, we had had no friends? I was talking to a couple one time. They were, about, they were kind of looking to get married. We are talking through a lot of the things that we're talking to today. And, uh, and there was this one moment where he said something, and she looked at him, and I mean, like this sweetest, sweetest girl. And she was like, <laughs> you know, like, like no, and let him have it. I was like, whoa. I said, let me ask you a question. If you talk to so-and-so, one of her close friends, I said, or have you ever talked to so-and-so like that before? No. I said, then why would you talk to the man that you're about to give your life to, okay, about to enter into covenant together with for the rest of your life? Why would you speak to him like that? What is that? Well, in all of us, come on, y'all, it's selfishness. It's lack of grace. It's lack of forgiveness. You know, a good marriage is, is made up of two people who are really good forgivers, really good at forgiving. You gotta be. Why? And out of what context? Out of how Jesus has loved you and has forgiven you. 
If you can wear that lens every day with your spouse, you will look at them differently, you'll respond to them differently, and you'll love them better. The next thing is that in the same way that Christ gave his life for us, we give our lives for our spouse. When you get married, what you are doing, when you go into into covenant together, you're saying all of the hopes and dreams that I had apart from you are all canceled. That doesn't fit today's culture at all. That doesn't, that's, man, I just lost the other half of you that weren't with me already. When you get married, it's no longer your money, your own money. It's no longer my own personal car, my own personal part of the house. All of that is done away with. It's y'all's money. Come on, South Mississippi. It's y'all's money, right? (laughs) If you're from the North, you have no idea what I just said. You're like, you know? It's your money together. It's your cars together. It's your home. It's your goals together. Everything changes. Everything changes. And I'm telling you, nowadays, more and more, people come together in independent mindsets and they come together as individuals and they don't become one. They remain two individuals who live in the same house. And the things that seem that they're not big deals become giant situations. Money. Guys, listen. I personally, I'm not a big fan of having separate bank accounts. Not a big fan of it. Now, I understand businesses and stuff, but you got to be careful with that. When your money, come on, the Bible talks about where your your treasure is or your heart is too. Part of marriage is your money, the fruit of your life, literally you go to work all the time, where it goes, do you both know? Do you both understand, or do you have separate money over here, your little stash that you're able to spend? And I'm not talking about from a budgetary standpoint. I'm talking about money that's like, they don't know where it's at. And you're like, oh, it's, it's cool, it works for us. Then I'm admonishing you. I'm warning you, check that. Because what happens is it starts, it starts creating a divide. And the wonderful thing is just math, right? It's, it's easy. The, the other stuff's the hard stuff. Your dreams and your goals is the intangibles. Man, start with money and learn how to, to really mesh together as one. Just wanna encourage you with that. Take it or leave it, right? But, yeah. But it's no longer two separate people. If you've been thinking that way in your marriage, look, young people, you don't learn how to be married once you, married once you get married. Okay, you learn how to be married now. All right, this is a giant thing. It's two people coming together. I know that you have different career paths. I know that you have different degrees. I know that you have all of these things that you've thought about since you were seven. Once you get married, all of that it becomes one. And this is not popular, y'all. It's not popular. Sometimes one of the spouses may take, take more of the, the weight, and it, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's fine as far as the career path is concerned. But the, the important thing is this, that you are doing it together. You're doing it together. You're not on two separate paths. This is what God wants. He wants our lives to become one. He wants our money to become one, our our possessions to become one. We're united together. And that we would, in the same way that Christ loved us, that we would love one another. And in the same way that Christ gave his life for us, we would give our lives to one another selflessly. Selflessly. When it comes to giving our life away, Jesus is the standard. He's a standard for how to do it. And he did it wholly and completely. Your friends are not the standard of how you are married. 
through comparison. I'll say one last very, very practical thing before we move on. If you hang out with people who demean your marriage, if you hang out with people who make light of your commitment, stop hanging out with them (laughs) unless you're strong enough to withstand it. If you're struggling in your relationship and you go hang out with a bunch of people who actually almost crank that up even more and actually build you up in that lack of commitment and the lack of holiness in your relationship and it's beginning to get in your head, you got to run. Walk away. Confront it. Don't allow it to seep into your heart. The world is not the standard for how a marriage should operate. Your friends who don't know God are not the standard for how your marriage should operate. Jesus is, right? Jesus is. Let me go ahead and pray for you. God, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for their, their life. God, there's so many uh, marriages and, and people maybe that are even walking out of broken marriages and broken homes, some that are about to step into marriage. God, wherever we're at on this journey, first and foremost, right now, God, we are asking that you would uh, help us as individuals to see our relationships, to see our marriages through the gospel lens. God, that we would treat one another with love, respect, and honor. God, that we would give our lives away to the people in our families, just like you have given your life away for us. If you're in this place right now and, and you know that you're far from God, you know that you don't have a really good, healthy relationship with him, you feel like there's a distance between you and him, this is a great moment for you to recommit your life to him to say yes, to say, God, I know that I haven't been living exactly right. I know that I've been off base. Even today, God, I know that I haven't been living my life, not just in marriage, but how I approach people. I haven't been living through this gospel lens. For some of you, it's to such a place that you don't even believe that you're right with God at all. If your heart was to stop beating right now, you're not really sure. Is it, is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it, I, don't, I have no idea where I'd be. But today, you want to make it right. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to agree with it. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. All that I am, the good, the bad, all the the successes, the failures, God, I just lay it all down at your feet right now. And God, I ask for you to transform me, to change me into a new person. Change my heart, God, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that can hear you. God, I thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin and my shame, paying the price for me, and that today I can be clothed in his righteousness. Thank you for that. I thank you for the cross where I find mercy and forgiveness for all sin. God, I pray for every person in this room, every marriage. And Lord, as we walk out of this place today, God, I pray that we would walk out with a different perspective of our marriage. God, as we have talked about the the structure of marriage, God, we are praying that next week as we go to the next level, talking about how men and women interact and husbands and wives, our needs. God, I'm praying that through the next few weeks for all of us, that our marriages would grow, that there would be health and stability in each relationship. And God, we're also praying for restoration. God, I pray for every marriage in this room right now that is on the edge of divorce, that's on the edge of being broken down, and even those that are in a passive or an apathetic place. Lord, I'm praying that by your power, by your spirit, you would bring life again, that you would bring unity again, bring peace again. We thank you for what you're going to do this month in all of our families. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you all.